Do you love Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and all of your strength? I forgot that one. Of course you do. That is a silly question. If God has regenerated you, then of course you do love Christ. Here's the second question. A little more difficult. Do you not particularly care for all of his children? Is there any individual in the body of Christ with whom you find it hard to like? Perhaps you can ask the question this way. Do you love the head of the church, but not all of his body parts? You know, the the ear, the hand, the foot, the toe, the eyebrow. You know that eyebrow person. There are times when it's useful to self-reflect, to see if there are any folks in the body that annoy you, especially those close to you. That's what I want to talk about in today's podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive. As always, you can read Your Daily Drive podcast in an article format. You can find it on our website. Here's the title, The Perfect Remedy for Those People Who Annoy You. I want to get into that in just a moment, but I have three Uh, emails this week that I want to share with you. One from Michelle, the other one from Daniel, and the third one from Danielle, and the third one from Angie. Michelle said this, I bought Suffering Well. That is the paperback book on suffering. It's my autobiographical journey through the dissolving of a marriage and the things that the Lord taught me through that process. And Michelle said, I've, I bought Suffering Well. I read it, reread it, and refer, refer back to it often. I encourage others all the time that this is a must-have in any library. Well, there you have it. By the way, if you've read any of our books, would you write a review on Amazon? It would help so much as far as organically reaching more people. The more reviews you have, the better it ranks and the more folks we can reach. And so if you have benefited from any of our books like this one, Suffering Well, please uh, please write a review as you share it uh, also with other people. Then Danielle, uh, she wrote, now this is an interesting thought, and I, wanna, I wanted you to know about it, and I actually want to explore what she was saying in her note to us. She said, thank you, Rick Thomas, and all who are working diligently to share Christ-centered resources. Here it is. I use your articles and web videos for my homeschool curriculum. And for my own spiritual growth. Thank you, Danielle. Well, thank you, Danielle, for writing that note. And I am curious uh, specifically how you use it for homeschool curriculum. If you're listening to this podcast, I would love for you to share more about that. Also, if others have done that, if you could write in and let us know, because I, I want to explore this. Uh, quite honestly, I haven't even thought about using our materials in homeschool as a homeschool resource. And so I would love to explore this. And maybe there's some things that we can do uh, to help you all for those of you who are homeschooling. So thank you, Danielle. And then finally, Angie wrote in from New Zealand. She said, I so appreciate your willingness to help us with a reduced book price and shipping. 
many thanks and blessings from this part of the world. Again, she's in New Zealand, which is just under Australia, if you're wondering. We're so grateful for your ministry and how the Lord is using it in our lives. That is Angie. I wanted you to know that the Lord is doing a tremendous work through this ministry, and I am so grateful, a global work, as Angie is testifying And so I have a couple of thoughts here. One, Angie, or anyone else in New Zealand, we would love to come down there and do a conference, as well as Australia as well, where we have been talking with some folks in Australia about some training, and maybe we can do something in New Zealand as well. The second thing is, if you do buy our books in bulk rate, do talk to us because we can give you a reduced rate. And it helped Angie with the shipping costs because it does uh, it does cost a little bit more when you ship to these faraway places. And so if, if you would talk to us, if you buy 10 or more, and it doesn't matter if, if you're my next door neighbor and you want me to ship 10 to your door, we'll give you a discounted rate on those books. And so let us know about that. Michelle, thank you for your uh, note about the book, Suffering Well. Danielle, thank you for that homeschool tip. I'm very encouraged and intrigued by that. And then, of course, Angie in New Zealand, thank you for ordering uh, those books for your folks down there. This podcast and the article, The Perfect Remedy for Those Who Annoy You, There are many verses and passages in the New Testament that talk about not liking, hating, holding grudges, and other forms of disdain that we can accrue toward people. And I think accrue is the right word. It's like that beautiful carpet that you lay down in that new home, and, and then over a period of days, weeks, months, and years, you do not see the carpet getting dirty. But then you rearrange the furniture, and you move that chair, and you see the difference between what it used to look like when it was brand new and what it looks like now. And I think sometimes our relationships and those folks that we bump into intermittently, uh, sometimes we can accrue forms of disdain toward those people. Now, I do have a list of verses here, and if you want to look at this idea of hate and not liking somebody, there are more than a half a dozen verses at this point in this article, and you can, you're more than welcome to hover over them. If you hover over the link, what will happen is that that article or that um, scripture will pop up on your computer and you can read it and then it will pop back down and you can go back to reading the article. And so regardless of whether the person is in the body of Christ or is an unbelieving image bearer addressing all types of animosity, no matter how tiny a strain it may be, It is really humble and wise. And when I say an unbelieving image bearer is that we don't want to, in this case of disliking somebody, we don't want to segregate humanity. And this is what James was talking about in chapter 3. He says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with our tongues, we curse people, and here it is, who are made in the likeness of God. Everybody is made in God's image, and so that is an all-inclusive statement. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and, and cursing. 
My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We can see a principle in here that that we want to be careful how we address image bearers, not just the body of Christ. And so sometimes self-reflection is a wonderful thing. John said it this way in 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is using some strong language to make his point. It is sobering. And then, of course, James Well, he did this when he called anger murder. You remember where he did that in James 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, which is the anger passage that is really worth you remembering, that you put it down to memorization. And so when James talked about anger, he used the word murder to describe it. He did not sugarcoat his words what you don't want to do is to exempt yourself from John's language or James's language. And you won't do that. If, if you see the word hate, John used the word hate. If you see it like a basket word, a big basket with the word hate written on outside of it, and inside of that basket are all kinds or forms of anger. It's really not wise to split hairs here by saying, oh, it's not that I, that I hate him. I, I don't hate him. I just don't like him. Please choose the proper label to describe any sinful attitude toward anyone. If it's hate and that's the proper label, choose it. But if it's not, it's just, I don't like him, well, choose that. But never make the mistake of thinking that a little itty-bitty sin will cause the nails in the hands of Christ to be less painful. He died for all of our sins, all of the big sins and, and all of the little ones. One of the most popular graphics on our website is the anger spectrum. And I built this graphic for the very reason that I am, I am speaking about right now. I'm using James's word, murder, to show the extremes of anger. And then what I do, and what I mean by the streams of anger, you can go on inside this article and you can see this graphic. And when I talk about the extremes of anger, I have a sheet of paper and on one side of the paper is the word murder, and on the other side of the paper is the word murder. On one side, the word murder means physical death, which means I don't like you, and so I'm going to get rid of you. On the total opposite side of the paper is the word murder, but I call it silent treatment, and it says a similar thing. Consequentially, it's not as bad, but as far as sin is concerned, sin is the same. I'm not talking about consequences. And this kind of murder is the silent treatment. You see, physical death says, I don't like you, so I will get rid of you. Silent treatment says, I don't like you, so I'm going to pretend that you do not exist. Those are the two extremes on the piece of paper. And so you have loud anger that can go all the way to physical death. And then you have subtle anger, which can go all the way to the silent treatment. And then within those two extremes... The middle section, I have only a few manifestations of murder. 
only a few manifestations of anger. And as you look at this graphic, I'm sure that you can think of more than just these. Let me read a few, and I'm just going to read a few on the subtle side, because it's the subtle side where most Christians live. I mean, we're not murdering people, and 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 most of us aren't sexually abusing people or physically abusing people. Those are some of the things on the loud, horrific side of anger. But well, where Christians will, where we, me, will sin will be on the more subtle side that eventually leads to silent treatment. Like, here's a few. Dismissiveness, stubborn, huffing under your breath, negativity, apathy, defensive slander, criticalness, impatience, rolling your eyes, bitterness, cynicism, gossip. All of these are forms of anger. And so what I would want you to do, and what I need to do, is the Spirit of God illuminates your mind. James used the word murder as his basket word. John used the word hate as his basket word. But then inside of that, we, we don't want to, to slice and dice and pull out our little form of sin as, as though it does, uh, it, it, it's a smaller nail in the hands of Christ. And it's less painful because it is not. Perhaps you live in a professing Christian family where there are forms of anger, some of which I have just described, and maybe you could also add hostility and unforgiveness, which is a form of anger. And you have any one of these, or pick your own, between two or more of your family members. Perhaps you attend a local church where there is conflict between two professing believers. Now, if this is true, there would be something fundamentally wrong with that person if they talked about how great Christ is while harboring things like anger and, and bitterness and resentment or other forms of frustration and anger with another member of the body. Do you see the incongruity there? And this is what John was saying in the verse in, in 420. If anyone says, I, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So strong is God's word. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has, has not seen. Paul puts forth an analogy in Ephesians when he likens our unity in Christ to the physical body. I do like the many parallels that you can derive by comparing the organic self, our physical selves, to our non-organic selves, our spiritual selves, and this is what Paul does in Ephesians 5. Notice what the great apostle said in Ephesians 5, 29 and 30. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The word nourish in this passage means to grow, and in this passage, as we know, talking about the husband and wife, the husband is to grow his wife. He is to cherish, which means he's to warm her it's like an environment of grace that he creates in the home because he loves her. And Paul says no one ever hated his own flesh. So to do the opposite of these things would be hating. Now, of course, he was talking about the husband-wife relationship, but he quickly expands his thought 
to make sure we understand that the mystery that he is referring to is about our relationship with Christ and his church. You'll notice two verses later in 532, he says this mystery that he's talking about is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, Ephesians 5.32. If I say, I love Christ and harbor any form of frustration in my heart toward a Christian brother or sister, whether the person is my spouse or a child or someone else, then it's theological insanity and relational incongruity. This problem is an incredibly serious matter. Now, I realize that there can be episodic anger in whichever manifestation you want to insert right there. There can be episodic anger, and that's going to happen. Many of you got angry at your spouse today or your parents or your children, or a friend. That's episodic anger. And that happens. It's sad, but it happens between fallen people. Of course, what you have to do is you have to clean up that mess immediately by walking out repentance, by owning that sin and asking that person to forgive you. But here's the thing, the difference between episodic anger with someone, whether in the body or not in the body, and a pattern of anger. You see, if you don't clean up that mess, then you're in a pattern. And that is theological insanity and relational incongruity. And so I don't want you to... to punish yourself because you got angry with someone. No, be free. Walk out repentance. But what I'm pointing out here is a pattern of anger that you have someone that you have towards someone. This problem is an incredibly serious matter and and Paul talked about it in Romans 12. 16 through 21, a beautiful passage to memorize. There's so much that he puts in this short paragraph. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. I love the if possible part, but he he also says, I love this too, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, quote, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul continues to say, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be incongruent in your relationships. Seek to love everyone. I am not suggesting that that you have to be everyone's best friend. I'm not suggesting that you're going to have an ongoing relationship with that individual. I'm not even saying that everyone will, will reciprocate. 
those ideas are too idealistic and they are not realistic. And, and sin is never that cooperative. There are relationships in my life and former relationships in my life that can never be or some can never be reconciled and some haven't been reconciled at this point. The ones that can't be reconciled, obviously, are, are those who have died like my dad. We had a, a forever friction between us, and now it will be an eternal friction between us, and there was a lot of hate, a lot of sin on both sides of the relationship. And so that can't be fixed. And you'll also have others who have sinned against you in some way, and they haven't come to to mend that fence. They haven't reciprocated. They haven't asked for forgiveness. As, as an example of that, as many of you know, is my sister-in-law who murdered my brother, and she she has not come to, to clean up that thing that, that she did in 1997. But regardless of how folks treat you, their actions do not have to manage you. You may never be besties, and and there will be some relationships that will never reconcile. It is a reality in our sad, fallen world. But you can have the love of Christ in your heart toward them, and you can measure that love in your heart toward them by how you think about them and how you talk about them. For example, if you have the love of Christ in your heart toward your enemy— toward someone that you struggle with, toward someone that you can't reconcile and maybe you should never reconcile. For example, I was talking with a counselor yesterday in a local church, in fact, my local church, and we were talking about this idea of reconciliation with someone who has sexually abused you. And I I said in very clear terms and strong language, that is is unwise to put the victim of a a, a sexual abuse victim to go and to seek to reconcile with the perpetrator. And, and so in some cases, you, you can't do that, but you can get to the point to where you can have the love of Christ in your heart. And you can measure that by how you think about them. For example, you're non-judgmental toward that person. You're non-cynical toward them. You're not critical. You're not harsh. You're not unkind. You do not gossip. And you do not devalue them when talking about them to others. You can critique them and you hate the sin uh, that they have committed, but you always recognize that that is an image bearer. Be aggressive. Do not let sin reign in the body of Christ. Christ cannot be your all in all when you do not care for his all. Should the hand say to the foot, I do not like you? Of course not. But this matter can raise a few questions, and I'm well aware of it. I've tried to hit several of them in this podcast. And it raises questions, especially when folks are unwilling to cooperate with problems biblically. But first, I have some questions for you, and there's a call to action at the bottom of this article, and I would love for you to read that section, because I realize that each relationship problem is unique, and you cannot map one process over every reconciliation and relational situation. 
And so it would help if you had wisdom and, and discernment. Also, if you had someone to walk with you as you address those problematic relationships in your life. Of course, as you know, the best place to begin is, is with your eye, not the eye of the other person, as Jesus talked about the log and the speck in Matthew 7. You may not be able to motivate another person to change, but you can change yourself. And so I want to give you a few questions to just to get the ball rolling, to help you think rightly about troublesome relationships. Again, the title of this podcast and the article is The Perfect Remedy for those people who annoy you. And so you can read everything that I've shared with you. I have a video also embedded in this article. And of course, I have a ton of embedded links. Here's a few questions for you. I might not be able to get to all of them. There's six in total, but let's see how far we can go. Number one, are you more apt to pray for the person you struggle with or criticize them? Prayer works. Minimally, it works when you carry other people on your heart. Part of your praying should be biblical pity for them, assuming they are part of the problem and they are not ready to change. And so if you have a person who has offended you or has hurt you in some way and, and they haven't reconciled that, do you pray for them? Do you carry them on your heart? Or do you criticize them? When you pray for somebody, when you carry them on their heart, on your heart, that has an effect on your soul. God blesses that kind of humility. He gives favor for that kind of humility. And maybe you are in a situation where you cannot reconcile it for whatever reason. Are you more apt to pray for the person you struggle with or more apt to criticize them? Number two, do you pretend everything is okay, but in your heart you genuinely struggle with that person? My appeal to you is do not become too comfortable with acting. Acting is the modern-day word for the word hypocrite. The picture of, an, of a hypocrite, as you see in theater, is, is the mask. A hypocrite wears a mask. Do not become too comfortable with acting, because if you do, it will become your new norm. The practice of accommodating and adaptation, it will change you by dulling your inner voice, your conscience, and that will impact how you think and process and apply things. So number two, do you pretend everything is okay, but in your heart you generally struggle with that person? Love doesn't cover the sin, whatever it may be. Well, in that case, you need to do something to, to reconcile this. Number three, what hinders you from being honest with God and with the person with whom you struggle? Perhaps the person is not cooperative which is a valid issue, and that would need addressing. But first, before you address what is wrong with them, start with what is wrong with you, if that is the case. Again, be honest with yourself. I'm not making a judgment here or an accusation, but I know that in relationships it's really easy to focus on the other person without giving some awareness some addressing of 
our own hearts. In most cases, not all, but in most cases, there are things you can change about yourself regardless of what the other person does. And in the case of my dad and a few other people where there can't be reconciliation, there are some things that I could do to change me so I'm not managed by what he did. Number four, are you more concerned with your reputation so you will not confess your sin to the person? Perhaps you know that you're the annoying person, but you won't own it. If true, I urge you to find help because this posture is another way that you will alter your conscience. You don't want to do that, and it will not just alter your conscience, but it will grieve the Spirit of God and quench the Spirit of God. And, and you will not have the Lord's assistance in your life. More concerned about reputation. By the way, this works the other way, not just that you're afraid to confess your sin because of your reputation. Perhaps you need to go to someone, but you are afraid to go to them because you care what people think. You're insecure. You struggle with the fear of man. Way too often, when people have a problem with someone else, they don't go directly to them. They go to other people and gossip about that. You don't want to do that. There are two other questions here, and I won't have time to get to them, but again, you can read this article, The Perfect Remedy, for those people who annoy you. And again, I want to say thank you for Michelle and Danielle and Angie for your kind words in three different ways for the uh, recommendation of suffering well. The homeschool, using our, curric- using our resources in your homeschool, and then shipping a, a, a load of books to New Zealand. Let us know in any way that we can serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.